Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Podcast. We're the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio. And I'm Tom. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Doing good. How you doing? I'm doing fine. <laughs> I use Y-O-U-S-E, right? Use. So, hey, everybody. We are trying something new today. We are deciding to have some guests on our show. And I thought we would start really big on this first time with uh, a guest. We would go international. We're going all the way overseas. Today we have uh, a buddy of mine I know, became buddies with on Twitter, Marco LaRousse from uh, Germany someplace. I'm sure he'll tell us exactly where. We met on Twitter uh, initially after I bought my first Fuji X20 camera. And uh, somehow we got connected through my posting of pictures, I think, through the Fuji. And uh, so, Marco, hello. Hi, Antonio. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having Welcome, me on the show. Marco. <laughs> oh, great to have you, man. I've been admiring your work, and it's, uh, it's yeah, it's exciting to have our first guest be international. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Where in Germany uh, are you? Hamburg. Oh, Hamburg, Germany, Germany, in the north of Germany. Yeah. So tell us a little about, bit about yourself first so we can get that... Uh, get that out of the way. Get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, let's get the intros out okay, of the way. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I'm Marco LaRousse and I'm a, a fine art street and a documentary phot- photographer uh, here in, in, in Germany. And yeah, we... I, actually, I also have to say that I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, so I'm honored to be the first guest on, on your guys' show here. And yeah, I really enjoy that you guys uh, talk a lot about photography, but also in a way that uh, you're teaching people and, and explaining why you do or why something is good and, and, and should be done. So yeah, I really enjoy listening to that. And uh, to anyone who's, who's listening to this show for the first time, I can strongly suggest that you go back and uh, listen to all the... Which number is this? Do you know? Which... Well- we're show. at number 16. Uh, 16, I 16. think. 16, right yeah. Sweet, Sweet 16. They are not that long. Go back and listen to the shows. A lot of good knowledge in there. Sweet 16, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Marco. Appreciate that. So, Marco, you know, um, as you probably know from some of the other podcasts, you know, one of the things that we like to celebrate is just the joy and fun and passion and magic of photography. You know, we're both, uh, all of us obviously off the deep end, you know, this is something we care deeply about. So we thought it might be fun to begin this first part, part one, with you telling us a little bit about your discovery of photography or some of your early experiences and early influences. And yeah, so let's start there. Just tell us how, how you yourself discovered photography and got started all right well for me my earliest memories of photography were when i was about six or seven years old and that was in the late 70s so now i just dated myself and um, <laughs> that was when, <laughs> when i went to the convenience store on the corner and they always used to have these grab bags for like a quarter or 20 to 25 or 50 cents and um I picked one which was particularly large. You have those, right? You don't know what's inside. It's like a grab bag and, you, you, you know, it's a surprise bag. And um, so I picked one which was the biggest one and took it home, opened it up, and there was a little plastic camera in there. It was a, I remember it was a blue and uh, black uh, plastic camera made in Hong Kong. That was at the time when things were still made in Hong Kong. These uh, cheap things were made in Hong yeah. Kong. Yeah. And... Um, 
So I was totally excited. I'm like, I got a camera, I got a camera. And my mom was like, oh, God, I got a camera. <laughs> I was like, I need film, I need film. So um, my mom, I don't know if she had it at home or she bought one. So I, I got a first roll of black and white film because at that time, color film was still more expensive and black and white was the cheap stuff, just like black and white televisions. That's what I grew up with. We had mm. black and white television, didn't have a color television yet. So um, I got this first roll and, you know, those, there was a camera, I think it was less settings than a whole guy. You could just uh, basically just click. And I took a few pictures and um, I was so excited to get the, the results back. And uh, I don't recall a lot of the images, but all I recall so was black and white. I took pictures from around the house, my sister, my parents. And um, that was really cool. And, and I think that was the moment when, when it clicked for me that uh, photography, you get a black and white result. Because most of the people in my family also were, were shooting black and white at that time. So I guess it all started there. And um, then it just, um, my, my dad is, was really top on technology. He always got the newest stuff. And at one day, one of those Polaroid cameras flew into our house. <laughs> from good old, that, uh, good old Polaroid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, from that time on, I was uh, getting used to the instant gratification <laughs> from from taking a picture and uh, two, two minutes later seeing um, what's on that. So most of my childhood of pictures of me are in a really bad uh, color shaded, <laughs> faded <laughs> Polaroids in a little mm -hmm. box. Um, they, they, they do tend to fall apart after 30 or 40 years so so um, the polaroids uh, I'm, I'm, the polaroids yeah the polaroids oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Right. they they and, and the, the white part in the bottom just starts to fall apart and the corners peel off and it just so i, I probably need to sit down and scan them uh, one of these days and uh, just just to preserve some of my childhood memories and and i did get a polaroid camera too at one day when they when they were cheaper one of those plasticky ones but um i did play around with that a lot but somehow I was I was more drawn to film and um, photography was always part of my life. I was always taking pictures and you know you know I never really learned that I didn't go to school to to photography or art school. But you know that somehow people start asking you to take pictures at parties and you to take pictures at weddings and it, I just ended up there. I thought, okay, you're the kid and you know you don't want to party anyway and you're not gonna drink any alcohol, so you you go around and take pictures. But you know, at one time, I, uh, I found myself on on, on a professional uh, fashion show taking pictures. And uh, so uh, that was the time when I started to realize maybe that there is something that the pictures did turn out better than for others. Because I didn't really look around um, what was out there, what, what other people did. I'm you know, looking through magazines and newspapers, but I never really went out and said, okay, who's a good photographer? What can I learn? I just learning by doing. Basically... A story of my life and uh, I've done it for a long time and I've made most of the mistakes that you can make and I've learned the hard lessons from that especially with film you know <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of things you can screw up with film so I've, I've certainly learned my lessons and they, they stick you know you, you only open the uh, film compartment door once before you rewind the film <laughs> or you yeah. should only do it once <laughs> these kind of things so, so Marco um, you didn't you didn't go to any school for photography you pretty much learned on your own yeah, just just uh, learned by myself. Wow! And and you were mentioning the Polaroids. I just I just wonder how many kids have grown up like from we're kind of the same time period. You know, mm -hmm. the, the magic of Polaroid sort of sparking that interest in in photography in general. So it's just funny that you mentioned that because we were just talking about that on our uh, I think it was our last episode. Mm -hmm. um, 
about the magic of uh, I mentioned the magic of Polaroids. My first experience with Polaroids as well. So it's just it's but, interesting you mentioned that. But there was one thing missing. What? That magical anxiety, the, the tingling in the stomach, just like you have before Christmas Eve. You you go to the camera store, and first of all, you have your little paper slip, and you hope that it's already developed. <laughs> and how often did you go? It's like ah, it's not ready. It wasn't the shipment, or no, they didn't have time for it yet. And then you get that bag and then, you know, you have sweaty fingers because you're okay, let's see if it turned out or are they all going to be just, you know, did I forget the lens cap or are they exposed wrong or something? This magic is just never there. It wasn't there with a Polaroid and it definitely has gotten lost with, with digital. It's this instant knowing what you've done. It, it, it doesn't need to be a good thing. You know, it's just something that, that was lacking, I think. And that's, uh, that's uh, something I really, really still enjoy uh, when I shoot uh, analog, but I'm sure we're going to get to that later. So, you know, Polaroids were good, but I've, that feeling was always magical to me. Mm. I, I mean, I resonate with the, the idea of going to the drugstore with your little slip of paper and wondering if uh, if the pictures actually did come out and what do you have? And you had that built-in delay. You had to develop it and it would take seven days or five days or whatever. And so you sort of were forced to wait for it. And, and you didn't really have a clue what you did. Yeah, I mean, in yeah. the beginning, when you when you started to screw things up, you learned to take a pencil on the paper and say, "Okay, frame one was uh, this is what I did," and you put little notes on there um, so that you could go back and, and see. So for for that, digital is really really magical and, and great. I I think it's uh, wonderful that um, the learning curve has gotten so steep. People can learn uh, photography much much faster than they used to. The the barrier to entry is, is much lower. So I think it's a great thing for for people who enjoy photography and maybe older people. People who, who never really got to learn it in the film days, um, they have a chance to, to learn it now and, and um, have people teach them and they see the results instantly. So I think it made things a lot easier. Yeah. So you've been doing photography all your life or at least a big chunk of your life, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you do it for a living, I guess? No? No, I don't. No, really? Really? <laughs> no, it's, yeah, yeah really. <laughs> huh. I have a day job. I have a day job. <laughs> like so many of us do. Yeah, yeah, I have a day job. It's, um, you know... If you focus on a genre which is not really known to pay very good, <laughs> I mean, in street photography, there's, I think, very few people on the face of the earth who really made a good living. And most of them were doing this as, as part of being documentary f photographers. And since the big uh, news publications don't really hire photographers anymore, not like it used to be, and everyone has a camera and... Uh, we have heard the stories that newspapers equip their reporters with an iPhone and say, okay, don't you get just me started on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 okay, good. We're on the same team on that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really tough to feed a family on that. And um, yeah. although it would be very nice to do this full time, um, I think it would be also very difficult if you, especially if you see yourself more as an artist and um, you have to produce something. Um, that might be difficult, but we'll see. We never know. We never know how it goes. So maybe, maybe we'll all be very famous one day. <laughs> so you know, well, especially, especially with street shooting. Um, yeah, it's hard to jump in, but uh, yeah, it's you know, it's less about the commercial value, and yet you know, in hindsight, it can be really creative and artistic. And I think you know, we all appreciate the work of street photographers, and it gives you so much freedom when you're just out there shooting for your own pleasure and to create art and 
Um, I guess we'll, we'll get into some of your images in a, in a bit, Marco, but I mean, you're clearly creating some really beautiful artwork. How I was going to ask you how you first began shooting in the street and, and what kind of, uh, you know, evolution have you experienced just in your own attitude towards street shooting? That's a good question. When did I start? I think I, I went through my portfolio a couple of weeks back just, just to see when this switch occurred or, or my interest actually. Uh, first of all, uh-huh. when, when, when I started street photography, I didn't even know there was a genre called street photography. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, <laughs> just happened to be on the street. Right. It, it, yeah. just, it just, you know, it, it happened. I, I was lucky. I, I got to travel from very young age on. My, my parents uh, dragged me around the world, so I got to see a lot of cultures, which is, an, I think, a really good thing um, if, you, if you get to learn and experience a lot of cultures. On the other hand, when you're used to seeing many different things as part of your life, it's, it, it loses a little bit of, the, of, of being special and, and being something... Um, that is so new to you that you think it's such such a novelty that you want to capture it. But uh-huh. for me, when I started, we didn't really travel to Asia much. We, we more traveled Europe and to uh, North America. But um, in the mid-90s, I traveled to Asia for the first time. I think my first Asian country was Japan. And it was so different <laughs> to anything mm-hmm. that I've seen before that I took my camera out and just started to document daily life of things and people that I saw that were so different from what I've seen in the Western world. And I just wanted to capture that for myself. And I wanted to capture that, of course, for for, for, uh, people and family at home. And um, like I said, I didn't know this genre existed. And I felt really funny, (laughs) uncomfortable. I felt like a spy on the street, Mm -hmm. um, taking pictures, uh, you know, People, private moments, well, private moments, they are in public. So this was all in public, people walking around. But I, I didn't really know what to what to make of that. I was like, if, 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 if I tell anyone uh, that I'm doing this, you know, the, it doesn't qualify as stalking because it's not one person. It's just the population in general that you that you, um, you want to capture those moments. Right. right. So um, it was something I didn't feel very comfortable about. Maybe I would have felt more comfortable if I would have known this genre existed and would have uh, uh, looked at the photo books of, of the great masters, that this is actually a legit, <laughs> a legit way of uh, photographing. So that's when it started. And um, yeah, it just went from there. But I also have to say what made a big difference for me um, when I looked Back in the years was when I switched to a digital DSLR camera. I was already shooting rangefinders, but back then also film. And mm-hmm. um, when I when I when I got my first um, DSLR with a mirror slap and big lenses, I pretty much did a lot less street photography because I knew <laughs> I was out there and people would know that I took their picture. And um, pretty yeah, much advertising that you're a photographer while you're carrying exactly. a big DSLR. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, especially I did this most in in other countries where where it was. I mean, Asia was obvious that I was a foreigner, so I, I was really between the. Am I still seen as a tourist or just as a threat? <laughs> I didn't really know. I didn't know the laws if if that was even legal to to do these kind of pictures. So. Um, that was that was a big cut. I, people always say cameras don't matter, equipment doesn't matter, and in general, it shouldn't you? You just should choose the equipment that suits you best. There's no arguing about that. But yeah, I, at that time, I did a little, little bit less street photo- photography, and and you know, I don't know. It's just it was a couple of years DSLR, and 
yeah, I I think really the the equipment um, had a big impact on on me doing less at a certain time in my life. Uh-huh. Marco, do me a favor, it, like. As I know what a uh, rangefinder camera is, oh, but sorry. some people might not know what a rangefinder <laughs> okay. camera is, and I always find myself a little tricky explaining it. But yeah. just describe, like, and, and tell me what camera you had too. I'm really curious. Um, I had a, an old Voigtlander Vito from my mom. It was her Voigtlander, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, she, she got that when she was, I think, fourteen or fifteen, and um, it was still working fine. It was it was quiet. So so rangefinder camera basically doesn't have a mirror like a SLR camera has. You are looking, usually it's on the, well, from looking at the back of the camera on the, the top left side is where the, where the viewfinder is. And um, the viewfinder has uh, uh, framing inside depending on the lens, on, on the focal length uh, that you have. But you don't look through the lens. You are only looking through this uh, optical viewfinder with a frame giving you an approximation of what the lens will see. So the lens is completely closed off just sitting in front the the film or the sensor and you are looking through a piece of glass with a little lit frame a naturally lit frame in there and um, you have to focus this lens by aligning in the middle is this rangefinder mechanism basically you have to align a ghost image they call it mm-hmm. it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's a little matte screen in the middle and you, you you can only center focus so you have to align these um, and the coupling between the rangefinder mechanism and your lens has to work sometimes they're, they're off whack and then your pictures will never be sharp so they have to re- be readjusted yeah. but right. basically you're seeing a, a sharp picture of all of your surrounding no matter what f-stop you have because you're not looking through the lens so you're seeing the whole scene and usually the window the framing of the rangefinder what the lens sees is smaller than the whole viewfinder. So you have a little bit room to the left, to the right, to the top, to the bottom. So you see a little bit more what's what's coming in the frame, what's hitting your frame. And since I'm a right-eye shooter, looking at the top left of the camera, so basically only half of my face is covered mm-hmm. by the camera, and the left eye is always free. And, and those cameras are fairly small and quiet. There's no mirror slap. Right, because there's no so, mirror in it. There's no mirror exactly, slapping up. Exactly, like the, yeah. Exactly. All, all you hear is, is the curtain on the old ones or just uh, the shutter, um, which is not really that loud. And I have my left eye to scan the scene. So basically, I'm looking stereo with both eyes, eyes open sometimes <laughs> just mm-hmm. to see what's happening. And when I see a scene, I, I wait till the last minute till my subject uh, enters that uh, optic viewfinder frame. And then I, I align and frame the shot according to that. The thing about the rangefinder cameras is that they're... I mean, in my opinion, they're less intimidating, right? You talked about moving to a DSLR or an SLR. Yeah. You become more of a presence, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. the rangefinder range cameras, small. Yeah. Yeah. they kind of look like, I want to say amateur cameras, but but people don't necessarily take you as seriously, I think. With yeah, they, they, they look cute compared to a DSLR. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that observation, though, of, of looking, you know, with one eye sort of like at and or through the camera and the other eye just kind of taking in your surroundings because, you know, I shoot from the hip a lot with my 5D with a wide angle and, and I, I don't always look through the viewfinder, um, but I'll, I'll try to because I've, you know, obviously learned the hard way that when you, you know, when you just get in really bad habits of not looking through the viewfinder at all, you just miss all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But but the other side of that, of, of not being locked into the viewfinder, because like, for example, especially street shooting, you know how when you you see something that grabs your interest and you're, you're shooting it, but if you can 
kind of somehow have that other eye open or just be really aware of your surroundings. And, you know, you might be more likely to see that person on the bicycle who's about to enter the frame or, you know, those different things happening. So I, I wonder if that skill from, you know, those early days, you carry that over into what you're doing now. Oh, I, I certainly did. And this is why I also prefer still today, I all of my cameras, except the DSLR that, I, that I've kept, I have a 5D Mark II Canon. All of my other cameras are rangefinder cameras. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm not really uh, looking back at um, for, for my style of photography. This has been proven. There was just a time where there was no rangefinder digital camera, real digital camera out there on the market. So I did the uh, jumped the 5D and 5D2 uh, route uh, one day just for the for the image quality because I thought that was what mattered for me. But I could never do this this trick with the, with the left eye because um, this big DSLR when you, when you shoot it, you know the, the, the optical viewfinder is in the middle and you, you shoot with your yeah. right eye. The left eye is covered by the rest of the camera unless you shoot in portrait mode. And a lot of street shots just need the the horizontal uh, layout. Yeah. So you have uh, the street and you see more what's happening. We don't have really a lot of vertical shots. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So going back a second, just for fun, um, you said at some point that you weren't aware, if you were aware that there were other street photographers doing this, you wouldn't have felt as awkward. Were there photographers that influenced you or that you like at some point started to look at and say, like you started realizing this is something else that other people are doing. Were there any photographers who were like, I want to be like this guy or I want to shoot like this person in your life? To tell you the truth, not really, because I, I was so on my own <laughs> yeah, finding yeah. what I like to shoot that I was not really influenced. And I, I know this is very, very untypical, uh, typical for, for a photographer probably, but no, there was was really no one in the early stage, and even till very recently, I think I started looking at maybe two years ago. I started to to buy my first uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson book and just to check what they used to do. <laughs> yeah, so let's work backwards now. So now you you there wasn't any influences back then, but now if you grab some books now, who is it that you say, "Wow, I'm I am not like this person, but." Um, I resonate with their work. Who is it now? You said Bresson, yeah, who is Bresson. a yeah. master, of course. But. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I don't even want to put myself anywhere close no, to no, that no. level. But, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, you know. yeah, I think I think um, I think that was that was a reason why 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 I uh, chose this as my first uh, book that I bought because um, the decisive moment is something that I learned very early that that's what's what counts in a, in, a, in a photography, and I'm also very much into framing symmetry architecture to work with your subject and i i've seen not not all of his work did but um i see a lot of that so using natural frames yeah and the symmetry you, you know how all these drawings go sometimes it looks like yeah. uh yeah. like uh, uh the sports moderators do at a football game so on the left tackle to the right and they start <laughs> drawing on the sheet you know i'm sometimes i'm thinking okay guys um, no i can't follow you anymore where, where you saw that symmetry in this photo but anyway it works <laughs> yeah yeah who else? Who else? Do you, um, what other books have you picked up? Actually, what, uh, let's see. Okay, Robert Frank, Robert the Frank, Americans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Great book! Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anyone who's really into street or documentary photography should definitely buy this book. I think this is the side of of uh, street or documentary photography that is very important that that any photographer who wants to document anything of of modern society for future generations should have a look at because he uh, he, he i think he was um, he 
He was from Europe, right? I think so. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm not gonna go on radio. I'm yeah, yeah. Go sorry, you know, no, no, no. I, I can go look it up myself. right now. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> so I can say maybe. I'm wrong. maybe. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, th I thought that he was he was from Europe, and he, so he came to America, and he saw it with uh, yeah. with different eyes. So let's just pretend that was the case. Maybe. Yes. It wasn't. Yeah. It sounds better. And so, so I think, yeah, to take this as a sample in, in the fifties, I think late fifties, and and just see what he saw. There was. For him, maybe a little bit special if he wasn't from the U.S. Uh, or from that from that area that that he was documenting. But also, it was still ordinary, everyday life things. When we look at old pictures today, we say, "Oh, look at these old cars! If I would have lived at that time, I would have mm -hmm. taken all these pictures." Mm -hmm. Yeah, go yeah. out today. Today is the future historic cars. Right. <laughs> go out, do it today. <laughs> it's a and, great uh, point. It's a great point. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. So that's that's probably something, a lesson that I, I have done a lot of things to document before, but I think that's that's something that opened my eyes again to to focus even more on that and, and to remember when I go out and I take my camera with me every day, when I go out, Keep your eyes open. The city is changing. Buildings are being demolished. New stuff is being built. Streets disappear. Parking meters. Do you guys still have parking meters in New York? Yeah, they're going away. They're going See? Away. Yeah. Take your... Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Go out. Take a picture of parking meters. Um, phone booth. It's another yeah, thing. That's gonna exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's... Uh, you know, my, my kids, I said, okay, you stand in this phone booth. I'm going to take your picture. They're not going to be there forever. <laughs> These kind of things. <laughs> uh, I think this is something that, that anyone who's into this kind of photography should pay attention to. It's going to be gone. And then you're going to say, ah, I'm not even going to start with people around you. Take yeah. as many pictures and do it now. Don't put it off. Weekend ahead, take your camera, take pictures of your loved ones. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, no, well said. Yeah, you know, I think it's great, Marco, that you were, you know, acknowledging that when you when you were first shooting in the street, you didn't even realize that was a genre of photography. And I think, you know, that's probably the case for a lot of people. And even, you know, even when people are aware of that, it's sort of like there's that just inescapable anxiety, I think, of and you referred to this about, you know, being in um I think when you were in Japan and, and just the sense of like intruding or, you know, people are just going about their lives. But I, I guess knowing that there is this genre of street photography, it, it can help people power through that initial kind of reluctance or fear. I mean, I find myself all the time, you know, I just I'm telling myself, all right, you know, these people that I'm encountering right now, they they might be surprised or they're not like ready to have their photograph taken or whatever, but but you sort of see it as if you're seeing it in a book or you just know that this is a moment that deserves to be captured and so that that knowledge of working within a genre can kind of I think embolden people in a good way, you know, give you courage to to do what it is that you feel called to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm I'm quite happy to see that um, there's a lot of magazines, and especially online. You have Flipboard magazines, and you have uh, 
scoop.it magazines, people who, who gather information about all news on this genre, genre and um, photographers to follow and the new work being published. And um, I think it, 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 we're living in a great time if, if, you, if you like, if, if you have this street photography gene somewhere within you, this is a great time to be because uh, in the mid 90s, it, it was difficult to, to unless you, you studied photography or art, you, you probably never had uh, much contact with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, for, for folks who are just discovering the joy of photography now, it, you're so right. We are in a great time because even though it, there's always that little bit of reluctance to or hesitation to power through, more and more people are used to just seeing all kinds of people, you know, take photographs everywhere. So it's a little easier, I think, to get started. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be wrapping up this first half, Marco, but I'm looking forward to the second half because I, I really want to talk about some of your uh, individual shots and have you um, shed some light on them. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and shadow. <laughs> yeah. Light and shadow. That's right. I'm just going to wrap it up right now. Thank you, Marco. Yeah, I just have to say thanks so much. I, I learned um, from listening to you, and it's just uh, always inspiring to hear somebody who cares deeply about photography. It's, it's a contagious feeling, and it's, it's a good feeling. So yeah, thank great. you. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you for letting me tell my story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, how, can we, how can people get in touch with you? Maybe you can have some show notes and just uh, link them to my, we'll to my uh, website which is basically just my name, marcolarousse.com. And on Twitter, I'm probably best known as uh, at Hamburg Cam. Hamburg. It's Hamburg, like the hamburger. Yeah. Dot, uh, and Cam. So, everybody, if you are hanging in with us, uh, we're going to continue this next week with uh, Marco. Tom, we are going to wrap it up for today. And let's see. Oh, so if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can at uh, our website, which is switchtomanual.com. And you can send us an email at info at switchtomanual.com. We're looking for comments, suggestions, all sorts of stuff. We're on Twitter at switch the number two manual. So switch to manual. Google Plus, please look for us there. We have a nice little community growing there on Google. What else are we doing? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. Oh, we're Facebook people. We like the Facebook thumbs up, please. And uh, we um, hopefully, if you're getting this from iTunes, we would love for you to give us some comments there and some uh, reviews on iTunes that will help us out too. So um, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, so tune in next week. And uh, well, Tom, we'll be seeing you. Yeah. Adios. Adios.